Okay, welcome to this week's Think Jewish. Today is Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, the first day of the month of Tammuz. Tonight is the first day, and Shabbat is going to be um, the third day of Tammuz. The third day of Tammuz this year is the 21st yard site of the Rebbe of blessed memory. May his merit protect over us. A primary focus, a primary, primary focus in all of the Rebbe's teachings is Ava Yisrael, to love your fellow Jew. So much so that in the last mimer, the last Hasidic discourse that the Rebbe edited and gave out, he personally distributed it. In the edited version, the Rebbe actually added on a footnote which was not in the, not a footnote, he added on a paragraph which was not actually in the original delivery of the mimer. It's actually in brackets. And what is that piece that the Rebbe added in the edited version? It's actually quoting that Moses, his job is to connect the Jewish people one to another. Again, the focus of Avat Yisrael. If you want to read about it, there's an email that I sent out, Gimel Talmud, my personal thoughts, it will go out tomorrow, focusing on that concept. For tonight, I wanted to focus on a very interesting teaching. Everything that exists in the macroscopic world exists within the microscopic world. That's the teachings of Hasidus. Everything exists within. However, there's another interesting teaching that not only that everything that exists in the macroscopic world has to exist in the microscopic world, which is what a lot of Hasidus is based on, finding those concepts within the human being, However, there's another interesting teaching which says that the impact that we have on the macroscopic world comes through the microscopic world. So our sages say, which I who is the microscopic world? This is the human being. So let's just take a simple example. You'll find again and again in the teachings of Hasidus that the balance, the global balance of good and evil on a global level really all boils down to the persons in this microscopic world, his war between good and evil. So we affect the macroscopic world through the microscopic world. More than that, Maimonides says that every person, the world stands equally balanced and every single person in his one inner war of microscopic war between the good and the evil can tilt the entire balance of the scale and bring goodness, miracles, and salvation to the macroscopic world. So the focus here is that when we talk about peace, that's tonight's title. Tonight's title is Let There Be Peace, Bringing Peace Between the Mind and the Heart. When we talk about peace, it's most definitely so that the effect of the macroscopic world is absolutely a reflection of the microscopic world. Simply speaking, a person who doesn't have inner peace within himself will not get along with anyone. It's just that simple. So when we're talking about making peace, let there be peace, the first focus is the man in the mirror. The first focus is the microscopic peace that I need to have within me. If I don't have inner peace within me, no matter who, what, when, I will pick a fight because it's my set of glasses through which I see self and I see the world. And that's the way it's going to go. So it's very fitting and proper tonight to focus. The Rebbe's teaching, the Rebbe's legacy is so based around the concept of Ahava Yisrael. The Rebbe's whole approach to bringing Mashiach 
is through Avat Yisrael. The Rebbe's famous teaching is that the Talmud tells us that the Holy Temple was destroyed because of Sinat Chinam, baseless hatred. So the way to bring to Mashiach is through Avat Chinam, baseless love. So understanding this concept of love and understanding that I can love no other if I don't love self, that's why I'm dedicating tonight's class to the yard site, the 21st yard site of the Rebbe. Okay. Let's talk about spiritual, spiritual unrest. And why am I talking about spiritual unrest? Because we're soon going to learn that the inner war, the unrest, the problem that we have within to live a peaceful life really is from the top down. It's not because of our physical mind, our physical traits, it's actually from a very spiritual source. So we're going to take a bird's eye view and look at the spiritual unrest that exists within every single person because of the infrastructure and the psyche of his or her soul and from there we'll be able to understand what it means to make peace between the mind and the heart. So let's, let's begin with this. The, uh, the entire, or let's start this way, the two main primary palaces, kings of the human being is his mind and his heart. The soul is built on those two, which means that there is the intellect and there is the emotions. Now, it's so because the souls, when God said, and let us make mankind in our image, God has no image. So what we're really talking about is the famous Sfirot, the ten emanations. Those ten emanations is how the soul is built, and therefore the soul is made up of ten faculties. These ten faculties divide into two groups, three intellects and seven emotions. That is the mind and the heart. That is the build of the spiritual soul, and thus reflected in the human infrastructure, the human psyche. Now let's talk about this mind and heart, the intellects and the emotions. What is the greatest paradox of all is that these two are polar opposites. It is impossible for them to get along. Just plain and simple, intellect breeds only in coldness and calmness. Emotion breeds only in the excitement, in the heat and in the excitement of it all. So much so that you know that the minute you get excited about what you're studying, you actually cannot think intellectually. You'll find very often people when they're studying and they're starting to get excited about it, they actually talk to themselves and go, shh, that silencing is calm down, calm down, I can't think further. If I'm going to get so excited at this new discovery, I've lost the power of any further intellectual pursuit on the matter. The same thing with the emotions. The emotions cannot experience themselves as long as the calmness and the coldness of the intellect is dominating. So here we have one human being who is set for inner war, is set for spiritual unrest. The mind and the heart seem to have been born to not get along, to actually fight with each other. 
and we know that through life we're always we're always struggling with the knowing and the feeling two different worlds and they don't work together therefore because it is paradox it seems to be impossible so on this day of the third atamos when the previous rebbe back in 1927 he was arrested for his underground work in russia at first he was sentenced to death on the third of Tammuz, they took him from the death sentence they changed it to exile sentence and when the previous rebbe then went to kastrama he was there until the 12th of Tammuz when he was totally released on that third day of Tammuz, the previous rebbe delivered a mimer a hasidic discourse I want to read to you the opening verse of that discourse. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. This verse is the prayer for inner peace. This verse is the prayer to take us away, free us from the spiritual unrest that exists between the intellects and the emotions. How so? So watch how Kabbalah is going to interpret this verse. When we say, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. When we say the word fathers in Kabbalah, fathers represents the intellect. The intellect gives birth to the offspring, which is the emotions. Okay? So we have over here, we're asking God, may he be with us as he as he was with our fathers now what is the definition of the words us the definition of the word us our human experience of life is all within the emotions it's not within the intellect the true experience of self is by our our emotions it really matters little what you know because the activation of anything you know will only come through the you feel. Okay, we'll talk later about salesmen. Salesmen know this. We can go ahead and give you all the true information about the product of why you should buy it. If we don't make an emotional connection between the potential buyer and the, pro and the product, it will not be sold. Okay? So, when we talk about this concept of, of may he be with us as he was with our fathers, we're actually asking for an inner peace, an inner congruency between the mind and the heart. The verse doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, nor forsake us. The interpretation of nor forsake us is the next step. Because when the mind and the heart are living with inner peace and congruency, then the heart, there's a, there's a saying that the heart spreads out. It gives forth its life force to all of the limbs and organs. What that means to us Kabbalistically means that our thoughts, speech, and actions, primarily actions, will be in congruency with our feelings, which is in congruency with our mind. Thus you understand that the prayer for here is, let there be peace. In the inner strife and struggle that we're born to have between the mind and the heart, we're praying, let there be inner peace. How is there going to be inner peace? To understand that, we're going to give a little introduction, but let me just give it to you in one sentence. 
when we ask for inner peace, we're asking for the internal essence plane of intellect to shine within the internal essence plane of emotions. Now, I know this sounds Kabbalistic. We're going to explain it in a moment, okay? So, when we talk about the external, external intellect communicating with the external heart, it must go through the constraint process of the narrow neck. It cannot shine directly. It, the language, it's like a Mac and a PC. Uh, I'm sorry, a Mac, yeah, a Mac and a PC. They're not communicating. They're different languages. Therefore, it has to go through that symptom process, the constraint and the narrowness of the neck. However, when we talk about the essence, inner dimension of the intellect, shining and communicating to the essence and the inner dimension of the emotions, then we're talking about a direct communication which needs not go through the process of symptom contraction and concealment. I know this all sounds Kabbalistic. It will all make sense. I just wanted to give you now the destiny of where we're heading to, the goal where we're going to get to, okay? So we're introducing an external plane and an internal plane. The difference is the external plane, the mind and the heart, are polar opposites. They will not be able to communicate. You have to go through constraint and concealment. However, on the inner essence plane of the mind and the heart, when the inner essence of the mind is communicating to the inner essence of the heart, then there is no need for the contraction and there will be inner congruency. Okay? So, let's go further. The question is, how does this work? So, to understand this, we're going to now go a little bit more in depth with the inner dimension, the two inner planes of intellect and emotion. It exists on every plane, no matter where you touch in Kabbalah, where you touch in human life. Everything has the inner essence dimension and the external, the external expression dimension. So we have essence versus expression, internal versus external. Okay, let's talk about this for a moment, okay? Let's talk about the simple experience that you and I know, right? We know we have artists, we have great artists. We have the famous priceless art from the great artists. What you'll notice with a true masterpiece made by an artist is that the artist is almost always left in disgust and in pain from his piece. Now, this doesn't make a difference if you're talking about literature, you're talking about music, you're talking about painting. It's very weird to see that the real true masters of art are not finding true inner comfort and inner peace in their work. We're sitting there marveling at this, and they're sitting in total inner self-loathing over what they did. Why? It's very simple why. The true definition of an artist is in the eye. They have the power, they have the gift of the eye to see the true inner essence of an experience. What they're trying to do with their art is to express that. Now, while they've created a masterpiece of expression, the bottom line is that you can never express inner essence. So what we're looking on, not knowing the original 
inner essence vision of the artist, we're like floored. This is just unbelievable. However, from the artist's point of view, when he looks at that pale, that pale, lifeless expression of his original essence vision, he's in total pain. He's disgusted by his masterpiece. So when you have the inner essence and you have the outer expression, on every plane that exists. On the level of intellect, you have the same thing. On the level of emotions, you have the same thing. Now what happens in the expression of, because it's external, it's not the inner essence, that's where you have the polar opposites between the two. The external expression of intellect is completely the polar opposite of the external expression of emotions. However, when you're dealing with the communication of the inner essence of the intellect, talking to the inner essence of the heart, over here we don't have polar opposites. Why? Because what's amazing about this is that the inner essence of intellect will arouse within emotions its true inner essence identity. The true inner essence of emotions is the deepest level of the soul, which is why our strongest experience is feelings. Why? What is the inner dimension of all feelings? Ratson, will. Will is the power of the supernal crown. So when a person's feelings are not experiencing their ultimate inner dimension, the ultimate power of will upon which we say, when there's a will, there's a way. The definition in Kabbalah of Ratzon is that it is the driver of all our faculties. When we want something, truly want, not the, oh, all right, I'll try. But when we truly experience our inner will, the one that makes us blind to all obstacles, we shall get this. Then the drive is infinite. Thus on that level, there is no paradox between the inner power, the inner essence of the mind and the inner essence of the feelings. And thus we live in a plane of congruency. The one thing I could tell you is that the only way for us to even experience the inner essence of the mind and the inner essence of the heart is only through humility and humbleness. Why so? When we have external expression, we're, on the we're focusing on the vessels, right? For example, right? I prepared a class. First, I had to study and understand what the Rebbe is saying to the best of my capacity. After that, I had a whole shift. I wasn't just focusing on the teaching of the Rebbe. I was actually focusing on the words I would use to express that teaching. I'm rereading. I'm editing. When I'm rereading and I'm editing, I'm not focusing on the context, 
as much as I'm focusing on the expression. Let's just, let's just talk about this. In, in when you think about something, when you are completely lost in thought, you do not hear the words of your thought. What we call that is absolute transparency of the vessel and all you see is the light. However, if I am talking within my mind, there is such a thing in Hasidus and Kabbalah called Dibur Shebe Machshava, the way the mind speaks. On that level, I am not focusing, I am not completely transparent to the light. Rather, I'm very clearly seeing the presence of the vessel. What that does is, that ego of the vessel denies the experience of the essence. Because the rule in Kabbalah is that essence defies expression. The minute you begin expression, you're talking about a form or a shape. The magic of essence is that it has no form or shape. The minute you start talking about essence, it's no more essence. Because if you're talking, it's description. Essence defies description. Thus, the only, the only way to experience this is through humbleness. When we have humbleness, then what we're experiencing is the intellect communicating its internal essence to the internal essence of the heart. Within essence and essence, there's never a paradox. Let me share with you a story. I read the story that the Alter Rebbe of Shneir Zaman of Ladi, the founder of Chabad, he once was looking at a masterpiece of a painting. And this was his comment. He looked at the painting and he said, the artist got out of the way of the painting. He got lost in his painting, and thus he created such a masterpiece. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a communication of essence. Over there, there's total inner congruency. There is only one essence. There's only one essence of the soul. I didn't put this in my notes, but just reading the eyes around me. Tell you a more simple understanding of this. A lady wrote to the Rebbe, I'm a secretary. And the Rebbe wrote back, No, you're not. You're a Jewish woman who earns a living by being a secretary. When we worry about having so many hats that we're overwhelmed, what happened? We stepped out of self. If we stepped out of self, we're just going crazy at changing in every single second who I am. So one second I'm a rabbi, the next second I'm a father, the next second I'm, I'm a person, I'm a brother, I'm a son. We're going crazy. However, if all we truly are is transparent and humble to ourself, then every expression is not a paradox. The same me who's walking, working in the office doing QuickBooks is the same me who's writing a lecture, who's the same me who's got to do what I got to do in my house. So that power of true humbleness, transparency, is what allows for the inner, the inner essence of intellect to communicate to the inner essence of the heart, the emotions. 
and then it's so natural that it expresses itself in our thought, speech, and action. To understand this, we need to go just a little bit deeper. You understand now, by the way, that what I just shared, this is, what you understand here is that this is exactly what we spoke about on the verse. Now you understand what the prayer is. The prayer is that the inner essence that shines into our fathers, the intellect, should be with us, the emotions, should not forsake us in our expression of thought, speech, and action. That is the prayer for the inner congruency, the inner peace. But that inner peace and inner congruency can only exist within our humbleness and transparency to the essence and not the expression. Not the words, not the angles, but the inner vision that the artist truly carries. That's all, that's all he's transparent to right now. Okay? But to understand this, we need to go to another war. Another problem with inner peace and inner congruency. This one is within emotions itself. It's not between the intellect and the emotions. It's within the emotions itself. What goes on? What inner war is there within the emotions? This week's Torah portion is Korach. Korach was a cousin of Moses. Korach was a Levi. Korach went to war against Moses. What was his war all about? It all breaks down very simple. The Levite was demanding that he be a Kohen. Not only a Kohen, but the ultimate Kohen, the high priest. That was what the war was all about. Why should your brother Aaron be the high priest and bring incense? We, I, I want to be it. Now, let's take a Kabbalistic look at this war. Levite is left. He is strictness, justice. Kohen is Isha Chesed. He is kindness. Now, within a perfect world, the Zohar's quote is that Smala Kalil Biyemina. Left is within right. What that means in layman's term is that justice, strictness must be subservient to kindness. Korach said no. He said that strictness must stand for itself. Not only must strictness stand for itself, it, must, it is actually greater than kindness. So in the real world, the way God set it up, the Levite is subservient to the Kohen. The Levite helps the Kohen with his work. Till this very day, the Levite is the one who washes the hands of the Kohen so that he be able to do the priestly blessings. And in Ashkenazic, it's usually on the holidays. By Sephardim, it's on Shabbos. And there are places where it's even every day. Certain Sephardic groups. So the Levi, the strictness, is Khalil in the Kohen. And thus his service is to serve the Kohen. Not he should serve the Kohen. No one serves another human being. We serve God. But his service is to allow and make possible the Kohen service. Thus, the Levi is subservient to the Kohen. Thus, strictness is within, within kindness. No. However, came along Korach and said, not so, my friends. 
The definition of strictness is concealment, contraction. The definition of kindness is revelation. Please turn back to Genesis. What does the verse say? Vayehi erev, vayehi boker. And there was evening, darkness, concealment. And then there was morning, light, revelation, kindness. Thus said Korach, strictness is even greater than kindness. For without strictness, kindness could not be possible. The words of the Talmud, it's interesting. Someone asked the rabbi in the Talmud, why is it that the black sheep, always the black goats, always work, walk in front of the white? And he answered, the sage answered, the way the world was created, so is the world ro running. And he said, just like it was first dark and then light, so too in nature it's first dark and then light. So what do we see here? We see here that actually he's right. Strictness is not only a world for itself. It's actually a higher experience than kindness. First you must have contraction and only then can you have revelation. Look at the words we're taught in Zohar, in, in, not in Zohar actually, in Kabbalah, a different book of Kabbalah. The first thing that happened was the contraction. After the contraction was introduced, what we call in Kabbalah a kav, a finite ray of light. If not for the contraction creating a void in the infinite, in the expression of the infinite light, we would not have the possibility of having a finite world. Thus creation and in the entire system of creation always depends upon first having the contraction of the infinite creating a void thus allowing for the finite. And if not for the finite light, there wouldn't have been finite creations. So here comes the most Jewish question of all. <laughs> if Korach was right, why was he wrong? That's the question here. So we understand that Korach's war was all again about the lack of inner peace. That's why the great, the most greatest um, the translation of the Torah that we have was done by a convert called Onkelis, who was the nephew of the emperor of Rome. And he is an authority. Not only is he authority in translation, but when Rashi wants to define what the verse is talking about, he will use Onkelis. So he says something very interesting. The opening words of the Torah portion is Vayikach Korach, and Korach took. However, if you look at the Aramaic, that's what Onkelis did. He translated in Aramaic. The Aramaic word for take is unesiv. He doesn't write that. He writes, he uses actually the word iflag. Iflag means separation. Korach was not about taking. He was about separating the inner peace between the right and the left, the Kohen and the Levi, the divine order of things. That the Kohen, the revelation, and then the left, the contraction is within the revelation. Again, I want to just make a disclaimer. Don't get lost, guys. This is Kabbalistic. I give you my word. I'm going to be presenting to you a business plan that's built on these Kabbalistic concepts and spiritual growth in the most practical way. But we do have to get the bird's eye view. We're doing things from top down. Okay? Let's talk about this. Why was he wrong? He's right. It's right there in the verse. It's right there in Kabbalah. 
before contraction there can be no revelation so you do have to have the left stronger than the right why did he die why was he swallowed up in the earth and the answer is that Korach was wrong on two planes the two planes I spoke to you about before on the plane one the essence and the internal the internal essence on plane two the the external expression let's talk about this why was he wrong on plane one because the only time you have to have contraction before revelation is when you're talking about expression to the outside let's talk about what this means there was the infinite light right that's what the Zohar the Kabbalah explains who Ushmo he and his name filled everywhere there was the essence and there was the infinite light and then what came along came along the desire to have a creation a finite universe so what happens now the first thing that has to happen is that once the in the infinite light wants to express itself to the other what does it mean the infinite light of God is expressing itself to the other it means it's going to begin creation other creation creator creation we now have an inside and an outside so once the infinite light is dealing with the expression to the outside then you first have to have a contraction from the infinite light a void allowing now for the revelation of a finite ray so the only place where contraction comes before revelation is in the world of external expression think about it for a moment you ever see someone run into you he's breathing he's got <gasps> and you're telling him whoa, whoa, whoa calm down calm down what happened he can't calm down why because he's dealing with this great big emotion what he just saw the first thing you have to do is calm him down so he can talk before you calm him down he can't even talk in the world of Red Cross we were taught that the biggest danger is when a person goes into shock because when a person's in shock a person is he's shining inwardly into his essence what you're supposed to do with a person who's in shock of course the smelling salt and all the other stuff but one of the things you do is you try to get them to talk because once they're talking what happens is instead of them being encompassed by the issue the issue is being encompassed by them they're in control they come out of shock so what happens is that only when it comes to expression when I'm looking to have an external expression when the infinite light is no more about within itself and God rather it's all about the external expression and let there be of course you have to first have contraction and then revelation if you don't have a contraction of the infinite light it's impossible to create a finite world God's goal was to have a finite human being in a finite universe with freedom of choice to serve God so in that realm you have to have first contraction and then light but talk to me what's about when you're dealing with in yourself within yourself there's first the light it's first light and then contraction when you want to express yourself the epiphany is not a contraction the epiphany is revelation so within self first you have revelation and then contraction thus in the ultimate goal of the world it's about the Kohen being higher than the Levi and the Levi only serving for the purpose of the expression of the Kohen 
That's why on plane number one, Korach made a mistake. Because in the inner essence plane of things, light came before contraction. Kindness came before justice. And that's the way the Svirot are really set up. Number one is kindness. Number two is, is uh, strictness. Mistake number two. Even on the second plane, even on plane two of the external expression, Korach was wrong. Now here is a very important piece of this under class, this teaching. Okay? In the world of Kabbalah, concealment is not defined as concealment unless it is for the purpose of concealment. Is that a tongue twister? Let's talk about why. Let me ask you a question. Simple question. In an unbearable sunny day, you put on sunglasses for the purpose of not seeing or for the purpose of seeing? So is the sunglasses contraction or is it revelation? Or in proper terms, isn't it contraction for the purpose of revelation? So therefore, the entire purpose of Embereshit in the first symptom, in the ultimate contraction, what was the purpose of this contraction? For the sake of contraction or for the sake of revelation? For the sake of revelation. Thus you understand that when Korach tried to do a iflig, a separation between contraction, strictness, and revelation, kindness, he was misunderstanding and actually messing up the entire universe. Because the entire universe is where contraction exists for the sake of revelation. If you take the Levi and you make him the high priest, what are you doing? You're making contraction for the sake of contraction. If you make contraction for the sake of contraction, we can never fulfill God's wish. What is God's wish? God's wish is that the physical world should become what? Should become an abode for God. Thus, all of contraction was only for the purpose of revelation. Thus, Korach misunderstood the entire issue. And that is a terrible mistake. For him to think ever that there's a contraction for the sake of contraction defies and denies the goodness of God and the purpose of creation. Okay? It gets a little deeper. When we say that contraction was for the sake of revelation, so what are we saying? Simply speaking, we're going to just quote the Kabbalah. God created a void, and within the void, he brought in a finite ray, what we call in Kabbalah the Kav. Okay? Kav means a line. However, that's not what it's really all about. The contraction wasn't for that one ray of light. What was the purpose of the contraction? Was that we should have a world. Why did God create the universe? To make an abode for God. God sent us into this world, which now seems to be absence of God. And our job is, no, we should make this, bring this back to be the garden and the home in which God exists. Okay? 
parenthetically speaking, I'm stepping off my lecture for a moment. Parenthetically speaking, I don't want this to sound Kabbalistic. It's just very simple. In your home, there's a mezuzah. There's holy books. There's a kosher kitchen. The laws of mikvah control your bedroom. There's a Shabbos table. You invite people. So you tell me, does God live in your house? Yes or no? That's what it means. That's all that it means. To make this world a dwelling place for God. When we say a dwelling place for God, what do we mean? Do we mean a finite ray of God? Or do we mean the original infinite ray, infinite light, not ray, of God? Which means that the contraction was not only for the sake of a finite revelation to create a finite world, but the ultimate purpose of the contraction is to have the ultimate revelation of the infinite light. So according to Kabbalah, if you just had the infinite light, you could never have a world, right? How do you fit infinite amount of water into an eight ounce cup? It's just impossible. So what do we do? What we did is we had a contraction. We brought in a finite light. From the finite light, what happens? We now have finite human beings confusion of mind and heart these people have freedom of choice they serve God when they serve God what do they do they bring the essence of God into creation which means that the external contraction was only for the purpose of what of having the essence revelation I want to just make it have this make sense for a moment okay I want to tell you I'm not going to tell you the whole story you can look it up. It's called, the name of the story is, is, um, ooh, what's the name of the story? Meir HaGaola. It's a book that was printed by Kahus in English. When I was a child, that was uh, probably the only real novel we had. It was a book called Five Novels. And there's a story of Meir Gaola. The story of Meir Gaola is why today we don't marry two wives. He is the man, Rabbeinu Gershon, he is the man who did that. I just want to get to the whole story. Get, forget the whole story. Get to the main point that I want to share with you. He ended up being locked in a tower that only had a little window on top. His first wife came to him and wanted to know how to save him. So he told his wife like this. I want you to take this insect, tie onto this insect a very thin thread. To that thread, tie on not so thin. A little thicker, a little thicker, a little thicker until you have a rope that can hold me. I want you to put that little insect on the wall of the tower right under the window. Then I want you to catch this other insect. This insect eats the other insect. So if you put him first and then you put the other one, that insect's going to have no choice but to run up. As he runs up, he can carry the thread. But the thread will carry the bigger thread, which will carry the bigger thread, which will carry the rope. And that's how he got out. Why am I telling you the story right now? It has nothing to do with our class. Yes, it does. Because without the contraction of only having a thread, creation will not be able to bear a thick rope. Without only having very finite spiritual revelation in the world, the world would not be able to exist as we know it. The laws of nature would be Russian roulette. You can't have a, a, a normal organized world in which we, men and women of freedom of choice, can serve God in our mundane life. It'll only be spiritual. It'll be once again back in the back in the desert, manna falling, clouds of glory, miracles happening, water coming from a rock. 
That's not what it's all about. It's all about the finite life in Israel, having to have an army, having to work six days, work the ground, barely have time to have a shiur once a week. But what happens then is with that freedom of choice, when you as a human being freely choose once a week to study Torah, at least once a week, what happens then? You are bringing the essence of God into this finite world. That's the rope. That's the thick rope. That's the essence. Okay? So all of this sounded very Kabbalistic. And really you sit and you wonder, how am I going to make a slight difference in my life? This is so abstract. This is so spiritual. We're talking about the spiritual war of Korach and Moses. We're talking about the peace, inner peace between the emanations, intellect, emotion, kindness, strictness. What does this have to do with me? So I want to introduce you to an unbelievable business plan created by Michael Gerber in a book called E-Myth Revisited. He's actually what we call a small business guru. You can read about him. You can figure it all out there. So I want to just share with you interesting how he sees it. Every business has an entrepreneur and has a manager. That's the sane balance, inner peace of a business. Okay? He has it in story form. He has this lady, Sarah, who is a baker. She works for someone else. She loves baking. And you know how it works. All the nudniks in the world come and tell you, why are you baking and making him rich? Why don't you open up your own bakery? And it gets to you. And you decide, you know what? You're right. People are coming here because of my baking, not because of his pretty nose. I'm opening up my own bakery. But what happens? Opening up a bakery, there's only a little piece of opening up a bakery called baking. There's another whole part of it, which Sarah never knew about. And Sarah actually feels suffocated now because the last thing she has time to do is bake. So you have the entrepreneur, Sarah the baker. You have the manager. That's the one who has to run Quicken, the QuickBooks. And that's the one who has to make the, the whole office normal. So what happens here? In his business plan, he has a very simple formula. The entrepreneur has to allow himself to back out of every other job in the business other than that which only he can do. Everything else he has to give over to the managers. Now I want to introduce to you the outcome of decades of research of a man by the name of Napoleon Hill. You can read it in his book called Think and Grow Rich. He talks about how the successful entrepreneur, his gift is his being able to connect to higher intellect. So the, the gift of a successful entrepreneur is what? His being able to connect to the inner essence of higher intellect, which we call creativity, real creativity. Not just repackaging someone else's idea, but coming up the blue ocean strategy, coming up with a total new niche, a total new world of creativity. But what happens with this creativity? It goes nowhere. It accomplishes nothing unless what? Unless the manager can come along and make this a reality. How many frustrated, creative geniuses do we have? But they couldn't make it happen. So you understand that what we're looking at here is we have the 
we have the entrepreneur. He's the unbelievable inner essence. And we have the manager. The manager's entire position and purpose in life is what? To create a system. He's systemizing. He's creating a productive line. His job is to create sustainable productivity for the company. His job is to balance out the boat, to have it upon a dependable course of calm cruising. What is the job of the entrepreneur? The entrepreneur's job is to continuously rock the boat. What's the job of the entrepreneur? The entrepreneur's gift is that he knows if I don't come up with something new today, what's going to happen? We are going to become a dinosaur of yesterday, right? So what's going on here? Let's go back to what we were talking about. Look at the inner, inner war that goes on in a business between the entrepreneur and the manager. The entrepreneur has to continuously rock the boat. He has to drive the manager nuts by telling him, I have this new idea. Do me no favors. Your last new idea costed us risk and craziness for four years. The entrepreneur says, did it work? Have we gone up? Have we grown? Yeah, 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 but do me a favor. It's enough. You hear the fight that's going on here? So what happens is that the entrepreneur, the higher intellect, the essence, that creativity, that transcendence, it's beautiful. It's what allows the company not only to grow, but to survive. In today's market, if you have yesterday's techniques, you're gone. You're history. However, for this entrepreneur to really be effective, he has to be humble enough to back up and to hand over to the manager this unbelievable creative breakthrough. And what's the manager going to do with it? He's going to squeeze the life and juice out of it. So that what's left of it is something that's digestible to a corporate production line. Sustainability. So you have over here the inner war between these two. But without both of them finding inner peace and congruency... It will not work. Let's talk about when Steve Jobs let his computer technicians know about this great new idea that he had, this unbelievable creativity. He explained it to them. They had to get it. And then what did he have to do? Back off. He actually knew very little about how to make things happen in the actual room of creating computers. So he had to back off and let them do the process. What happened when his computer technicians came back to him and told him that the rules of reality in the finite world that we live in, this is impossible? Let me ask you another question, a little bit of history for you people. What happened when the, when the automobile people 
came back to Henry Ford and said, no can do. We cannot create the T model. Do you know what Steve Jobs and Henry Ford told both of, both of them, told their people? Go back to work and make it happen. I want to define to you what that conversation really means. Korach told Moses that in our world, the world in which strictness and concealment and contraction rules and created laws of nature, no can do what you're trying to do. So what you're seeing here is that there is an unbelievable reality in what we're learning here. If you believe that you cannot be creative, you cannot connect with your higher power, then you're not going anywhere. If you cannot create, connect with your higher genius, your higher intellect, the essence of the wisdom of your soul, where unbelievable new out-of-the-box thoughts drop, then you don't have the power to be an entrepreneur. You should be doing nine to five at a desk, which is nothing wrong. But what happens then when the people in the actual factory, the manager, the production manager, what happens when they start saying, whoa, Moses, we can't do this. It's just impossible. What we've just come into is the undoing of creation. Because the job of the manager is not to decide whether it's possible or not. To quote Walt Disney, if you can think it, you can make it happen. That's the laws that God gave us. If it's within the realm of the human mind, it's within the realm of the human power to make it happen. But the manager can't see it because the manager is going through the neck process. He's doing what Korach's doing. He says, we're not here for essence. We're here only for expression. You make money from expression, not from essence. Not understanding that the real goal of expression is only to be able to express essence. The reason God created a finite world is so that we can have infinite experiences. To quote a saying they have in the 12 Steps of Recovery, I'm not a human being having godly experience. I'm a godly being having human experiences. What a change of reality. So that means that my experience of the finite life is all about to be able to express, to be open, to be humble, to be transparent to the infinite essence of light that God placed within my soul, which drops into my wisdom, into my intellect, into my knowledge, and then needs to be processed by the human experience of emotions so that it can really happen in thought, speech, and action. That's what this class is really all about. It's not just about the abstract story of Genesis. It's not just about a fight between Moses and Korach. It's not between a fight between the inner dimensions of the human infrastructure, of the emanations of intellect and emotions within emotions itself, the strictness and the kindness. No, it's about getting it all straight. Every time we go through dark times, the olive is being pressed. Why is an olive pressed? To create Kool-Aid or to create essence, oil? 
It's our job to be humble, to be transparent, to be able to say to God, I know that what you're doing is creating a contraction in my life so that I can actually experience and live a life of essence where my inner self, the true inner self, who I am, God and I, I and God can express itself in my office, in my cooking, in my working, in everything I do. That's what makes a business successful. To have a true idea which came from the essence of self. Be humble enough to go away from the, wow, did you know what I just thought of? And just give it over to the process. Watch them squeeze the juice and the life out of it. But that way it could happen. And when it happens, what's it all about? Do you know why we put all the details into our home? The reason why we put all the little details into our home is so that it can be the perfect home to express who I am. Now you tell me, how does paint and angles and furniture ever going to express who I am? But I can tell you from experience, you walk into a house, you very quickly realize the energy of the person who lives there. Now let's take it, not all of us are here to open up businesses, so in closing, let's make it very practical on a spiritual level. Just in, a, in my Jewish life, each one of us, either because we had a near-death experience, either because we hit rock bottom, either because we had an epiphany, we have this sudden opening. God just cracks us open with humbleness to be able to experience a real moment of essence identity. That is beautiful, but that is useless. It's useless unless you step back and ask yourself, okay, let me take out my day timer, let me take out my calendar planner and see what could I really do about this? Because if I decide today, that's it, that's it, that's it, I'm stopping everything, I'm writing a book. I'm going to be a homeless person unpublished. I decide that's it. I'm, I'm becoming now the, the, take it easy. Take it easy. We were all created finite beings. And our infinite experiences have to be expressed in finite ways. Don't give away the infinite experience and just become another machine. But also, don't live just in the wow of one day, when I. There is no when I. As the great Hill says, if not now, when? And that's why I always, same thing I do with my children, God bless them. They call me out with this unbelievable resolution. They were out of bringing and they decided. Before I even hear the resolution, I tell them, do me one favor. Whatever you resolve, cut it in five, throw four pieces away. Now there's a chance it might happen. You don't make a million dollars. You make a hundred dollars and another hundred dollars. You don't become a scholar. Every day, Chabad.org, just listen to a little bit of Torah. But on the other hand, don't give up the infinite dream. That's what it's all about. It's not about living in a, in, in a house, it's about living in a home. A home is the infinite essence of self. A house is the finite expression of how we make it happen. People, thank you.